this week on the Divided Opinion podcast. I think, to be honest, ever since we started this podcast, it's been increasingly negative about United. I get like deja vu. And he's not changed him too much. He's still kept that sort of base foundation there of the same players and then just sort of in- integrated some new fresh faces. But he's just given them a spark to life and a new way of playing and some new flair when they're going forward and yeah it's not only a team that look really solid defensively but when they break they are very dangerous they did get a little bit sour and sort of the ground you could tell with the games when they'd be conceding three or four goals a game everyone was getting on top of each other and it seemed a bit of a restless place to be Casemiro to Manchester United is edging closer. 60 million euros with 10 million in add-ons. Is this the player that United have been crying out for for all these years, Westy? Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Divided Opinion podcast. My name is Joel and as always, Westy joins me. How are we, Westy? All good? Very good, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, yeah, all good. Not bad. Had a bit of a stressful week. Um, been getting a lot of things sorted, um, but yeah, we won't go into that. We're strictly here for football purposes. Is there what's been going on in your life recently? Um, just anything we need to update the listeners on? Sort of just constantly healing over the past couple of weeks, especially from yeah. Saturday's defeat as well. Bit of a rough mm. one, but you know we move on to Liverpool. Just lick, licking your wounds. Yeah, licking the wounds definitely. That's how you describe yeah. it. Yeah. It's like that every week, isn't it? I mean, I think, to be honest, ever since we started this podcast, it's been just increasingly negative about United. Mm. I get, like, deja vu. I imagine the listeners get it. I imagine you get it as well. We sit here and talk about Manchester United and the problems that are polluting Man United. And I mean, it's the same every week. Should we just get it out of the way? I mean, I, we've got the, the running order here. And the United game is third down the order. Should we just get it out of the way? In today's episode, guys, we're going to be similar to last week. We're going to do a game week two reaction. And then we're going to do a game week three predictions. Talk you through each game, what we think is going to happen. Um, just a few key talking points ahead of the game week three fixtures. Then we're going to give you our picks of the week from last week. Then we're going to go into some transfer talk. We've got some big news coming in and actually some positive news for once for Man United. We've also got Morgan Gibbs-White to Nottingham Forest to discuss. I've seen a varying fees going around, but I think around like 40 million, which a lot of people are saying is mad for Morgan Gibbs-White. Then obviously we've got João Pedro might be going to Newcastle. Hussam Awar, where's he going to go? Chelsea willing to loan out Trevor Shalaba. And yeah, loads more. And we'll get into it straight away. Let's just get this Brentford-Man United game out of the way, Westy. Yeah. I think, from my point of view, it's just United have come up against two of the most well-drilled outfits in the Premier League in their opening two weeks. I'm not taking anything away from kind of how poor United have been, because they have been absolutely terrible. Make no mistake. But do you think, how do you look at these last two games? I mean, is it crisis? Are we in crisis now? Well, um, United in crisis. I'm not part of this. Yeah, I think you'd have to say crisis. Um, at any club, I mean, the expectations that United have got and the the past that they've, the history and everything, 
you can't really sort of go into a season and lose to, with all due respect to Brighton and Brentford and not call it a crisis it's just it's been terrible um, we've we've got off to bad starts before I think the last time we won the Premier League under Fergie we'd lost the first game uh, so it's not always it's not always a massive worry if you lose your first game I thought after that Brighton one I thought yeah we didn't look great but maybe it's just one of those things you know we'll, we'll lose the first game we'll just get click straight back into it but I think the Brentford game was the alarming one I think really but yeah, I don't know. Well, what I mean, it... a 4-0. I mean, there's just there's no hiding, is there, from that? No, I think it all just it all just happened a bit too quickly as well. I think you could feel it for the players on the pitch as well. Like, I don't think even they could believe what in that sort of 20 minute period where Brentford scored them four goals, even they couldn't even work out what was going, where to be. You know what I mean? It's just I think as soon as one or two goes in, yeah, this is the thing with that United team. Though they, they do just collapse. They've got they've got a very little backbone, and I mean we've spoke for years about teams like Arsenal and Spurs having that sort of flaky sort of core and you know that's what mm. United do really have now more than anyone but you've fallen into what say Liverpool were for a few years before Klopp came in yeah. you've fallen into what Arsenal have been and, and the, yeah it's, I mean Spurs I mean you don't like to compare things in football and I think United is kind of its its own example really it's very hard to compare it to anyone. It's an anomaly, really. I mean, the success the United's had, the kind of the the figure, the that Sir Alex Ferguson was to Manchester United. I think it was always gonna just leave a hole in the club and and set a precedent that's impossible to reach for for new managers coming in. And I think it's undoubtedly that his his shadow is still over the club. And just, I mean, how on earth do you replace a man like that? And I think also we now know that he was he was kind of distracting people away from the real problems that were there and making it look a lot better than it actually was when actually the club was going on a downward trajectory before he left, really, wasn't it? Yeah. I know, I know you were still winning things, but behind the scenes, etc. Anyway, obviously, we're looking from a tactical point of view. I think Ten Hag has introduced a few things. Obviously, one of them being... Martinez, one of his centre-backs from Ajax, has come in at centre-back. I've seen differing opinions, really. Some people saying that he was exposed against Brentford. When you looked at the highlights, it didn't look too bad on him. Obviously, the Ben Mee goal didn't look great. Ben Mee towering over him and, and heading in. How do you assess Martinez's first two games? I mean, I know he got dragged at half-time. Should it be looked into too much? No, I think it's just a... So a learning curve process for someone like him. Obviously, people he comes in with the sort of the the height issue that everyone sort of raises. And like you say, I think if you watch the first two games, it wasn't really that much of an issue. Bar that Ben Mee goal, where sort of you know Ben Mee's fantastic defender. He's brilliant in the air. He's great aerially, both offensively and defensively. He could beat most people in the air. You know what I mean? So I won't look into it that much. And I went to the Brighton game. And I thought Martinez was our best player, maybe alongside Ericsson. And I think in that that uh, first half against Brentford, I think he was, I think he was pretty. I think he did okay. Obviously, he did didn't do anything amazing. Obviously, we lost four 0 And if you concede four goals as a defender in one half, you're probably not mm. at the best of games. But I think people do need to just sort of realise that the people will take time to settle into different teams. And I can see him now probably coming out of the team maybe for a game, but I'm not sure. I've heard stuff about mm. Maguire maybe being dropped instead of him. But I think you've just got to keep the faith in him and you know, it's been two games and I can't I won't look too much into it to be honest. And 
No, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm actually really excited. And I'm quite happy of what I saw, especially against Brighton as well, especially on the ball and sort of playing progressively mm. and helping as a team going forward. So, yeah, I'm 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 still hopeful. Mm. Another obviously an obvious kind of thing that Eric Ten Hag has sought to to implement is Christian Eriksen and where he's going to play Christian Eriksen. I mean, and in the first game we saw him in like a false nine position. Yeah. Then he dropped back in a little bit, but then against Brentford he was almost playing as a six really, wasn't it? Mm. Alongside it was alongside Fred, wasn't it? And then Bruno a little bit more advanced. Yeah. It didn't really work, did it? No, Eriksen it didn't work. I'm not sure if it's a lack of support in the midfield for him. Obviously, David De Gea is the elephant in the room and we'll get to him in a minute, but I'm unsure really about... Well, I think first and foremost, I think the the things that Ten Hag has tried to do haven't worked. They haven't come off yet. And that's not to say that they won't in the future. Or he, I think he is very much, you can see, it's a, been a big eye-opener for Eric Ten Hag. The, these first couple of games, just insight into the Premier League... A midfield like that, a midfield of was it was it Fred? Fred, um, yeah, Fred, Fred Ericsson and Bruno, Bruno, yeah, yeah. I mean, against a team like Brentford, and you know how good a team like Brentford are. And we spoke about it before on the podcast. They've their midfielders. They might not be like these incredible players, but they all they're all system players. They know what they're doing. They've all got a role, like a Norgard Jensen. When we'll come to Jensen, he was absolutely brilliant. And that, like Yanel, I can't remember the other player that played midfield. It wasn't Yanel, he came on. But uh, De Silva as well. But these are players that know what they're doing. They know their role. And they're going to run you tirelessly. They're going to mark you. They know, yeah, they know exactly what they're doing. And United's midfield just wasn't equipped for that. And it did look like a little bit of naivety maybe on Ten Hag's part. But I suppose it's all, it's, it's all a learning curve, isn't it? I yeah. Mean, I'm not sure what you thought about Ericsson as a sixth. I just I um, don't think it no, I, I, th- I think he's probably looked at Ericsson at Brentford last season, for example. And I mean, I was really impressed when I watched him when he sort of played that deeper line role. And I think he can do it. I think, but in certain games, I think United have to sort of drop what they're doing now and play a little bit, a little bit more pragmatic until they get to the point where they have the squad capable of playing with, say, seventy percent possession every game. That way you can you it's you can allow I think in the second half against Brighton you saw it as well, Ericsson was dropping in very deep and it was working a lot more because Brighton was sitting in a lot more, which gives him the mm. ability to have that space and play the passes out wide or in, in through the middle. When you don't have the ball a lot and the, and you get an overrun all the time, that's when it's not gonna work because Ericsson isn't defensively sort of that's not his main job and he's he's not he's not great defensively. So mm. I think I think Ten Hag has tried to implement a game plan for the first two games, one in which he feels like his team should be having seventy percent of the possession or more, a bit like a Manchester yeah. City. But obviously he hasn't quite got the tools to do that yet, and he hasn't trained it into them yet. So I think against Liverpool, especially obviously, they're going to have to yeah. play a lot more of a pragmatic approach. Maybe sit in a bit like the old uh, under Solskjaer, you know, the days we used to see there where they'd mm. sit in and hit them on the counter attack. Well, I've always thought, I know it's not what fans want to see, but I've always thought that's the way that United should play. And obviously, Ten Hag in the Dutch league, in the Eredivisie, he is, Ajax, I, I don't watch a lot of the Eredivisie, but I imagine teams do stand off Ajax. I imagine they do give them possession. I mean, the quality that Ajax have got above the rest of the competition, maybe barring like a PSV or a Feyenoord, it's a, it's a huge jump. Mm. Teams aren't going to do that with Man United anymore. 
teams know that they're gonna if they rustle a few feathers they get after them united will fold like it's this is the problem united have got now is they haven't got this they haven't got this like persona anymore mm. this kind of fear factor, larger yeah. than life yeah this fear factor like teams don't fear united anymore they they see it as a free hit almost yeah and united have always had it where teams play up against them and united but even more so now and teams know like you're weak you are weak like the mentality of the team is weak and we'll segue on to someone that looks like they've been grounded down through the years and that is david de gea i mean over the last however many years he's been here or been at united he's he's arguably been your best player consistently speaking and there's been so many times where he's been dragging you through the mud but do you think all these years of trauma have just finally just grounded him down to just a nub basically he's li- he, what what has happened to david de gea uh, i mean it's difficult to to really pinpoint i mean last season I feel like it was a bit of a, I don't know, I don't know how you describe it, but obviously everyone sort of raved about him last season, and mm-hmm. he did make some important saves when in United could definitely have been a lot worse off without him. However, it's still strange, I think, to to overly praise a player that's uh, conceded over sixty five goals in the Premier League in one season. I mean, still. And I think if you look ever since the World Cup in two thousand eighteen, he's sort of been on a sort of slow decline downward spiral and mm. you've seen it as a United fan if you are United fans will know you, these mistakes have been happening more and more regularly as the years have gone by I don't know whether that's to do with the sort of like you say like getting bogged down at the just the whole state of the club and it could well be taking your eyes off the ball and stuff it's got to take a toll off you, on your head it has it? to take After it all toll. those years yeah but I also it's just it, it can just be a case of goalkeepers he's, be, he's passed his best and maybe it's time for someone like Ten Hag or United to look and accept that and look for a new a, a new goalkeeper who's, who can play to his strengths and stuff. And I think De Gea's been a great servant, but he's definitely, um, I think he's definitely coming towards the end of his, his best years, if not what he has already. Yeah, I think there's not really much you can add on that. No. I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. I think you can speculate all day long about the reasons behind a player's demise, but maybe it is just time for him to move on. Maybe it is just, I don't want to say, I don't want to say past his sell-by date, but from the outside, it does look like De Gea has been going downhill for a while. And I, I, I really like De Gea as a goalkeeper. I think he's a brilliant shot stopper. But I think no one knows your keeper like your own. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like It's like us with Schmeichel. Everyone raves about Schmeichel. It's like we watch... Like, Schmeichel's distribution has never been there, really. Like, he's always been just proper, like, he's a liability sometimes when he's got the ball at his feet. But when you're watching commentary and other people, they talk about how good his his distribution is. And they act like he's never made a mistake in his life. But And, like, it's, like, this huge, terrible thing that Schmeichel's leaving Leicester. It's not ideal, but... He's had his flaws for a while. Mm. And I think a lot of people don't really see that. They don't watch your team week in, week out. So, yeah. We'll move on now to Chelsea versus Tottenham Hotspur. Kind of the marquee game of the weekend. It looks as though Tottenham's Stamford Bridge demons were going to live on. I mean, not in respect of the result in the end. Obviously, they did get the draw last minute. But in their performance, I think the draw really flattered Spurs. Chelsea were dominant, impressive overall. The, the double pivot of Kante and Jorginho back to their effective best. 
Mount dropping in to help them out and they just overrun Spurs' midfield. I think for me it was kind of that exact like example of kind of Conte's kryptonite or his system's kryptonite at least where when you've got these advanced wing backs you've got a midfield that can dominate possession. Spurs just sit in and they're almost just futile really. I know they've got the threat on the counter-attack but we didn't really see it aside from that Kane when he was playing in on goal and he should have scored. We didn't really see it with, with Spurs and I think they were lucky to get back into the game if I'm honest. I mean don't know if you've got any initial thoughts. Chelsea were impressive, weren't they? I mean, were you surprised at the standard of Chelsea's performance? Because we'd been kind of talking them down the weeks before it. Yeah, I actually was, especially after the Everton game. I mean, they came away with three points, but didn't look convincing mm. at all. And there was sort of no fluidity no. in the game. I think the Kukurea sort of really, his influence, you could tell. I think he'll like, offer a lot. And I'm not sure how that'll work with Chilwell. What sort of... Happened. Apparently he's got some fitness fitness issues at the moment, ah, Chilwell. right. Um, but yeah, I, was, I mean, I didn't catch the whole game, I must admit, so I'm not talking from the standpoint I've watched the full 90 minutes and saw everything, but mm. from what I did see, I feel like Chelsea, it was almost a performance from Tuchel and his team to sort of say like, hang on, okay, so you've got, you've had your good summer, you've got your new signings in, but we'll tell you, we'll let you know still who are the big boys in London still. I feel like it was yeah. sort of that and Tuchel was really keen on making that point to Tottenham and Conte that sort of they aren't the big boys yet and even though they're yeah. doing really well and they've got a great team and they will have a really good season Tottenham no doubt about it yeah, um, yeah it just seemed it was almost even though it was a draw it felt like a statement from Chelsea almost almost like it, it was a win and you know Tottenham scraped the, the draw at the end but I don't think they could have had any sort of arguments if Chelsea went away with three points from that game no I mean if you're looking at the goals I mean it was a long range effort from Hoiberg yeah. And then a Kane header, which I think came off the back of Cucurella getting his hair pulled yeah, I mean, out, basically. Exactly. It was a straight red. I mean, I don't know how that is not a red. No. How is that allowed? I mean, he's out, for, it's just crazy. he's out for a few weeks now, so that's sort of a, a karma, I think. Is it? Yeah, Romero. I didn't realise yeah. that. Right, right. That'll be a big loss for Spurs. It was really disappointing, to be fair. And I think, again, it was just kind of you were reminded of the, the flaws of Conte's system. I think across the whole season they'll be more consistent than than Chelsea, and I think it is like that inferiority complex coming in, and it's something that Spurs need to get out of themselves. Like they need to move on, they need to push forward and and realize that they are one of the big boys in terms of the quality quality they've got at the moment. Yeah, and yeah, I I don't know if there's more to add really. I mean Chelsea, if you go for their team, I mean it was kind of when you get Chelsea on song. They really do look, they look unplayable. And you'd be forgiven for thinking, oh, these could challenge like the Liverpools, the Man Cities, which we thought they were going to do last season. Obviously, they're making some good signings now. This is the kind of the bad bad part about doing predictions. Obviously, this season especially, with the season starting a month ahead, our predictions are going to look, could look pretty silly like, come the end of the season. I mean, now if we're looking at Chelsea, they could they could bring in De Jong, they could bring a Bamiyang in, in. Not that I think a Bamiyang would make much difference for Farner as well. And I mean, if they sign them players, you you have to start thinking they're in the mix, surely. Mm. But then again, we all said that last season, didn't we? <coughs> you know, when we they signed Lukaku and the other players, and you know, it's just not always how it works. But no, I think Chelsea that will give that performance will give them a lot of confidence, and I think they'll go and go on a little good run now. I think. Hmm. Kula Bali looks like a really good signing, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think 
Very he light was for one light that I was with Rudiger. Yeah, he was one that I wasn't really sure about. I thought it was kind of a short-sighted signing, and even if it is, I think he'll have a positive impact. He seems like a, a proper Chelsea centre-back, hmm. and he's, yeah, I think he was the right guy to come in for a player like Rudiger yeah. going out. Yeah. I mean, as, as much as it pains me to say it, Fafana would just, I think, take Chelsea to another level. Um, and maybe that will happen. I mean, we'll see, but they do need another centre-back. And it'll be interesting to see who it is, apart if it's not Fafana, because obviously they've missed out on Kunde already. It's hard to see another one that really suits the way that Tuchel plays. You know, I know he likes a mobile centre-back. That's obviously what he's looking for. Kunde and Fafana, although there are differences in their game, they are similar as well. Is there anything you wanted to add on that, the Chelsea game? Not particularly, no. Well, well I was going to talk a bit about maybe actually the wing-backs and the Chelsea's wing-backs and just make the point that I think it was kind of an issue for Conte again at the weekend. Obviously, he's favoured the Sessegnon and Royale to this point um, over the new signings of Perisic and... Um, I'm Jed Spence. I mean, I don't know if Jed Spence is injured or getting up to pace, but he's not even been on the bench yet. I think Perisic will come in next week to the to delight of you, players like you on FPL yeah. have got him in. Um, but I just think it, it was it did look like an issue for Spurs. And you saw that Chelsea, their, their wing-backs, they're so strong. Like James going forward is so strong going forward and the positions he picks up. And they were overloading down down each side. And it was seen with James's goal as well, the overload. And then, obviously, Sterling as well. That's what he offers. He can pick up so many, a variety of positions. I know he, he's, it's hard to pick out exactly where he's playing Sterling. It's got, like, it's almost Havertz and him in, like, a, a front two. And then they kind of drift out wide and pick up different positions as Chelsea with their, like, fluid possession-based build-up play. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. I think Chelsea, they are a team that, should be kept an eye on. I'm still not convinced that they're going to have a kind of an eye-catching season, but we'll see. If they make them signings, I think you definitely have to take note. Yeah, we'll move on now to Liverpool versus Crystal Palace. I mean, I think everyone expected Liverpool to bounce back after their disappointing opening day, um, but I don't think anyone really taken into account how impressive Crystal Crystal Palace are in a defensive sense. The error mm. side, I mean, some of their defensive showings last season were some of the most impressive I saw. I think that goalless draw at home to Manchester City really, yeah, it stood out to me as a real defensive performance. They're just, they're such a unified group. And Vieira's, it's so impressive what Vieira's done at Crystal Palace, I think. And because he's, he's managed to do that balancing act of coming in and trying to play more positively because Hodgson obviously. It had got, I've gone a bit stale under Hodgson before, I think it's fair to say. I think a lot of Palace fans had grown impatient with the way their team were playing. There wasn't much ambition looking up the league. But Vieira's managed to do that while also retaining those core values of a, of a Hodgson team almost, where his team are sitting in and they know when to sit in and they can hold their positioning. I mean, I think people thought when Gallagher was going to go, that was going to have a massive impact. But I think it will have an impact. But they can take a lot of confidence from that game against Liverpool. I think Liverpool, again, were pretty bog-standard, really, wasn't it? It was a pretty bog-standard Liverpool performance. I think they looked better than looked better than the Fulham game, the opening game. But there wasn't that kind of that, like edge, was there, to their game? I don't know what you thought about Liverpool. Uh, I thought the first 10-15 minutes they came out really well, Liverpool. 
Mm. And I think they had a couple of chances. I think Milner had a big chance. And I think if you know, obviously, if they had got that goal early on, you'd have seen a completely different game. Um, but yeah, Palace are a, good, are a team that are really good at just sort of if they get it past the opening 20-30 minutes and you still haven't found a goal against them they'll make it really difficult all night and um, yeah like I said they're really resolute uh, everyone knows their job they're all working in tandem you know sort of Anderson and Gway the relationship they've formed over the past 12 months has been fantastic yeah and Anderson is brilliant as well Anderson yeah is absolutely brilliant Mitchell as well he's really mm. really sort of come on recently and um now, even players that have been there for for sort of a long time, they're just sort of they all know their role. And Vieira sort of somehow managed to go from get Hodgson stuff and his ideas pretty much, and he's not changed them too much. He still kept that sort of base foundation there of the same players, and then just sort of in, integrated some new fresh faces. But he's just given them a spark to life and a new way of playing and some new mm. flair when they're going forward and yeah it's not only a team that look really solid defensively but when they break they are very dangerous yeah they've got talent up front and we can go into Eberechi Eze have I said that right yeah obviously I think he kind of silenced his doubters and I was one of them if I'm honest I mean I knew the talent was there and he's a great player on the eye I know he did brilliantly in the championship with QPR it really was a a performance that just made me take note and just think, right, actually, this player is someone that we really should keep an eye on. And obviously, we would keep an eye on him anyway, but he really kind of substantiated that, just the, the flair that he's got. And obviously, he's an amazing player to watch, but the product at the end of it, I think, has been lacking to this point. But against Liverpool, he was decisive in his passing. He was picking up different areas, drifting wide, inside, then picking up half spaces. He was a nightmare for Liverpool's players to pick up. Yeah. He, had, he had a field day against Trent Alexander-Arnold. Then he, he also did brilliantly for Zaha's goal as well. Eased past Fabinho. He should have done better. And then obviously provided the pass for Zaha as well. He's, he's elusive dribbling as well, as he? He's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I think if he adds this consistent output of goal contributions to his game, the sky is the limit, honestly. He's a, he's a brilliant player and he, he can play in different positions. He can play off the left. He can play attacking midfield. I think if he plays with that same productivity and that kind of decisiveness to his game, in all aspects, that is. That is not just in his pass, in his dribbling. It's everything. What he was doing against Liverpool, he was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm not sure if you had any more to add on Eze. No, you, I could everything you say. Yeah, 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 really impressed. I think we said it the, in the preview for the first game where we're talking about him. We said we we wanted more from him. Um, mm. So I'm not sure if he listened and and, <laughs> it, and he did that. But no, that's exactly what I wanted to see from him. Because like you say, there's so many players like him where you know the talent's there and it's all well well and good having the natural ability and the flair and the look, looking good on the eye, but it's not really that important without the productivity and the sort of output to show for it. But no, he's, he he definitely he proved me wrong. Definitely, well, not proved me wrong because I knew it was there, like you said. But he sort of, yeah, he, he definitely, um, he was just fantastic. That's all I can say, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely, and it was definitely something that Palace have been crying out for as well. That creativity in midfield. I think people thought when Gallagher left, he was going to leave a void there, but Eze looks like he's going to step up. Liverpool again, obviously, were vulnerable on the counter attack. 
um, Virgil van Dijk. I think maybe a little bit over-reliant on his presence and, and possibly his goalkeeper as well for Zaha's goal. Yeah. I think, yeah, it was... I think he has just... He believes his own hype. Yeah, pretty much. That and, is it. Uh, he, he could have just... He didn't even have to slide in, but just get across him a little bit. He just he does look like he's jogging around in in first gear. Sometimes. He just ambles, doesn't he? Sometimes. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like the Van Dijk you saw when he first joined Liverpool would have sprinted back and got a tackle in there, or sort of maybe even thrown his body. But that's the thing with Van Dijk. And I know the old saying of I think it was Maldini. So if you've gone to ground, you've already made a mistake. I don't necessarily agree with that all the time. I think mm. that's a pretty sort of ridiculous statement um, from one but of the But sometimes best. even if you have made a mistake sometimes you have to do certain things to rectify yeah. it. But he's just I I just don't understand what he was doing because he, 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 he sort of busted the gut until he got 10 yards away and then he just slowed down and almost yeah. let him have a free shot as if to say you're not going to beat by a goalkeeper and maybe if I stare you in the eyes it might put you off enough because I'm Virgil van Dijk but it didn't, didn't work at all. No it didn't <laughs> work and it was a brilliant finish from Zaha and he was a player to be honest when I was watching the game I was thinking Zaha's not a striker. Like, he's one of them players where you think, or beforehand, I thought, you, whenever you watch him, you think, yeah, he's got all the attributes to be a striker, but he's been an example of why a winger doesn't work up front and he's not that 360 player and doesn't know how yeah. to pick up the areas. But he did it against Liverpool. Yeah. Fair play to him. Yeah, really good Zaha. Mm. Darwin Nunes sending off, obviously, was the, the big talking point after the game. He has a lot to learn, doesn't he, Nunes? Yeah. Um, he's a very, he's a rough diamond, and yeah. I think I haven't been too impressed by him to be honest. I'm not, compl- I'm not one of these people that's going to completely write him off before he's even started, but he just looks so all over the place and just so yeah. unorthodox. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think there was two or three finishes. Um, one where he hit the post, and actually everyone thought it went in, but it's just. All the shots he takes come off the come off his studs, come off his the side of his boot, off his toe, and yeah. obviously I'm not want to come in here and sort of write him off because he probably will go on to be a good striker. But when you're looking at the price tag, you're thinking really, you know, mm. eighty five million pound. Mm. He picks up the right positions. Yeah, he does. Yeah, but doesn't mean anything, does it? When you can't put the ball in the back, in it. No, you just think with a team like Liverpool, how badly can it go as a striker because. As long as you're in the positions, you're going to get goals, aren't you? You're going yeah. to continue to get chances with the players that they've got, the the chance creators they've got. Yeah, it's something to keep an eye on. I think the only thing is, I've seen a lot of people talking about Anderson and showing the highlights from their battle together and saying like, like Anderson was clearly out to rile him up. To, from my point of view, it looked like a pretty standard Premier League centre-back performance and the way that a Premier League centre-back acts with a, with a Premier League striker. They're gonna rustle you up. They're gonna, yeah. They're just. They're not gonna let you relax, and they're not gonna make anything easy for you. Especially a player of Anderson's quality. And Nunes, I don't know. He was all just a bit petulant, and it all just, it all just looked like he had never really experienced it before, which I find hard to believe because I imagine the Portuguese league. There's still some tough centre backs. I mean, well, he, he has only had a year in the Portuguese hmm. league. I'd imagine growing up in the Uruguayan leagues would be pretty rough. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't really know. I think it was, but the way that Anderson was playing, though, one thing he did do was he never really rose to it, did he? And they're the most frustrating ones when it's someone that you're getting riled up and you look at this guy 
and he's just completely relaxed and he's just beating you to everything. That was yeah. what that's what Nunes needs to bring into his game because it never helps. Like it's always the downfall of players like this, having this being hot headed. Players know how to push your buttons and, and that's exactly what happened against mm. Crystal Palace. I think lastly from a Liverpool perspective and in a positive light for Liverpool, I mean, Diaz, again, a shining light for Klopp. I mean, that goal was absolutely brilliant. And I'm starting to think he's going to be the man that Liverpool turns to this season. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I do brilliant. like Diaz. Mm. He looks like he's going to kick on from last season. Anyway, we'll move on now to the rest of the games and look around the grounds. I mean, Arsenal, obviously 4-2 against Leicester City. It's kind of continuing on from their, their good start, Arsenal. Leicester, it was a pretty standard Leicester performance, really. Scoring goals, but then conceding at bad times, conceding straight after scoring. Some just more examples of peculiar decisions from, from Rodgers. I mean, Ian Acho, he came... Have you seen the stats from Ian Acho? So he came on. I don't, I don't know the exact minute he came on, but he came on and he created a pass with... I created a chance with every pass he played. He got an assist. He's absolutely criminal that this guy doesn't come on more. And a game, a game like Arsenal, I mean, when we've not got... We've only got the creative players. And I'm, I'm conscious that most people don't really care about Leicester, so I won't waffle on too long. But there's the only creative players we've got are like a Harvey Barnes, James Madison and Ian Acho. And Barnes is injured. So the obvious person to come in would be Iheanacho. But Brendan just persists with putting Dakar up front with Vardy. And having two players like that together, it's never going to work. I mean, oh, Arsenal... Mm. Sorry. They're far too similar, aren't they? Yeah, no, they are. And Rodgers has come out and backed Dakar. But he's got a lot to prove in my eyes. It's just... Yeah. It's a big season for him. and But it's never going to work. A two with him and Vardy just isn't going to work. They're both... They're either on solo strikers or they need a creative player next to them. Mm. In respect of Arsenal, I think Jesus, obviously, he added that, that goal contribution to the performance that he had on opening day because that was the only thing missing from the opening day performance. He really looks like he's he's stepping up and relishing this added responsibility, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he does, to be fair. Looks like he's sort of weight off his shoulders a little bit almost mm. where he feels like he can be free and it feels like the main man somewhere and I think that's what he's always needed to be honest because at City he always had Aguero playing above him so he was the yeah. understudy and then when Aguero left he wasn't really in the team often and you know mm. he'd often see himself he probably saw himself as a striker always but he was sort of like Phil Foden or someone starting as the false nine it probably made him feel a bit underappreciated but you know he's gone somewhere where he's the main man he's got the number nine shirt and well, I say hopefully. You'll continue to score. Not <laughs> hopefully, but, you know. Yeah. No, I I think he, I've seen a quote that he was saying that basically, I think it was after the World Cup or maybe after the Copa America, and he came away thinking, am I a striker? I'm not sure if I am. And then he came back and City started playing him at left wing. And it must knock your confidence that when in your head you're a striker and you're the only striker on offer, and everyone talks as if City don't have a striker. I mean, you look at how good Arsenal are now and how good Jesus has been doing. It really does say a lot for the quality that City have got when people are talking about 
they haven't got a striker, they're doing this without a striker when they had a player of Jesus' quality. I think just these players, often you see it, I think like Gundogan, for example, at City, I think he plays better when De Bruyne isn't playing. Because I think the kind of personalities that City have got, there are certain personalities that kind of their their impact diminishes when some of the big names come back in. And I think Jesus is potentially an example of that. And also maybe it's a little bit more difficult for a Man City. I know Arsenal are going to have teams that drop in. But Man City more than more than anyone in terms of teams just dropping in. And there's no space really for a striker. I know obviously Haaland's making it work. But yeah, no, I think Jesus absolutely brilliant. And Arsenal again, just really impressive Arsenal. And they've got a nice run of fixtures as well coming up now. So I think they're going to continue on there their positive start. Southampton versus Leeds 2-2. Leeds going 2-0 up. Rodrigo really finding his feet in the Premier League. Kind of relishing like a freer role in Marsh's system. And um, he kind of embodies Leeds' positive start overall. I know they didn't get the win and they gave away the, the two-goal advantage, but still really positive start for them. I think there's still some issues defensively, defensively for Marsh to iron out, but I think overall, I think Marsh's impact at Leeds has been absolutely brilliant. I think yeah. he really stabilised the club. Yeah, yeah, I really like him as well. And I think the main thing he's just sort of installed is like a sort of a family feeling around the club. I know Bielsa did have that, but I think towards the last sort of two, three, four months, it did get a little bit sour and sort of the ground, you could tell with the games, when they'd be conceding three or four goals a game, everyone was getting on top of each other and it seemed a bit of a restless place to be. Um, mm. But then I just feel like it's, I just don't know if it's his personality, but he's come in there and I feel like he, he looks like he's brilliant man manager. I feel like he, he looks like he treats everyone the same with respect and he just looks like he's really good at just getting players, just making everyone feel wanted. I think that's what it looks like one of his greatest strengths. I mean, I've never met him talking as if uh, I have. <laughs> uh, but no, no, I've been impressed with him. And I feel like he's took the, the sort of flack that he got early on and sort of the, everyone was making jokes about him obviously being American and soccer and everything and I feel like he's all took it in his stride really and just met, gone out yeah. there and sort of proved that no he, he does know what he's talking about and he's got Leeds playing a good brand of football good high energy and you know they've got the fans really really I think the fans are really in line with what he's doing yeah I think Leeds fans are, are pretty simple as well in the sense of they just want a manager that's going to be honest and, and a manager that's got passion for the game. And I think they can see that. And they yeah. want to see their players playing for the manager as well. And, yeah, no, I, I really like what Marsh has got, got going on at Leeds. Um, I just wanted to mention, I want to watch, really, for Southampton. And I think someone that's kind of gone under the radar... I don't know if you know him. It's Seku Mara. Seku Mara. I'm risk, at risk of saying it wrong. So he's a he's a 20 year old striker from Bordeaux. Um, came from Bordeaux. Eleven. I think they paid in the region about 11, 13 million pounds for him. Came through Bordeaux's academy or was used to be at PSG's youth system. He's represented France at youth level, and Bordeaux were kind of forced into selling him because they had financial problems. He's a player that's kind of evaded the 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 gaze of of some of the big clubs and the big clubs in the Premier League and elsewhere, and I think Southampton have really gained from this situation. I mean, if, I don't know if you saw him against Leeds, but he looks brilliant. I mean, he came on in the seventieth minute and he kind of changed the game. Really, he can lead the line, but he also likes to drift wide and deep into deeper areas. 
He has an eye, like an eye for a pass as well. I don't know if you saw his pass for Carl Walker Peters equaliser, but he did absolutely brilliantly. He's a tricky dribbler as well, and he, despite being like six foot, and I, I think he looks like a really impressive player and someone people should take note of. I think he looks like a really good signing for Southampton, and I can I can see him coming in and starting. I think I, think, I like what Adam Armstrong's doing now at, at Southampton as well, and he had a key part for for Aribo's goal, who also I think is a, a really good signing for Southampton. But yeah, Sekumar, I just wanted to mention him, and I think I think we should keep an eye on this guy, keep an eye on his progress, because I think Southampton might have got a real coup here. And but did you know much about him beforehand? No, no, I heard bits of him in Ligue 1 last season. Um, mm. There was a few French clubs interested in. You normally expect that sort of natural progression, maybe to go and sign for someone like a, a Lyon or a PSG or someone like that. But um, no, I remember Southampton showing interest, and I I didn't really keep tabs on whether it happened or not. But obviously, I saw saw him come on on mm. on Saturday, and yeah, he looks like a really exciting talent. Yeah, I think Southampton's a brilliant place for him to go to as well. Great mm. manager, and he's going to get minutes and. They really, they are in the market really for a striker, or they well, not so much in the market, but they they need someone that can take that role. I know Adam Armstrong didn't have the desired effect last season, but yeah, someone to definitely keep an eye on. Aston Villa versus Everton. Aston Villa getting a two-on win over Everton. Not much to take from this game. Um, I thought both teams were pretty pretty average to be honest and I think it's just important for, for Gerrard to just get that win under under his belt and move on to next week obviously Brighton versus Newcastle United a game that I was intrigued to see what would happen and I think they kind of cancelled each other out really nil nil in that one and one that I wish I hope I, wish, I was hoping to watch but obviously the TV schedule didn't allow it Manchester City versus Bournemouth 4-0 we said that it was had 4-0 written all over it and it did. Mm. I'm not sure how much there is to take from this game, really, in terms of, I imagine it was a very city performance, really. And then lastly, we've got Nottingham Forest, who beat West Ham 1-0. There were some positives for Forest. I think they kind of just made their case for why they they will be safe this season, I think. I think they, they look pretty solid. And considering the amount of new players they've got, they look to have gelled pretty well. I don't think they're going to be this surprise package maybe Forest fans were hoping. But I think they're going to have a solid season. And I can see them pushing into that kind of upper, lower half of the table, maybe. Yeah. West Ham, though, I think are poor. And I, I'm not expecting much from them this season, especially with the fact that they're going to have to be dealing with Europe as well. But we'll see. I don't think it's it's not going to be a terrible season for West Ham, but I just can't see them pushing on much. Right, we'll move on now to our picks of the week. Westy, would you like to enlighten us on your pick of the week for game week two? Um, my pick of the week would probably go Brian and Buemo. And Buemo. Right. Yeah, just obviously the game I'm, I watched obviously most closely, unfortunately, at the weekend. Um, obviously he got his goal, but I just thought his overall performance against United, he was a nuisance for the defence in midfield as well. Um, I've always been sort of really fought quite highly of him, especially when he was in the championship. He scored a lot of goals, but last season mm. he he had a lot of promise about him. But he only scored three goals, I think, last season in the Premier League. So I think question marks are asked over his ability at the highest level to sort of 
produce. Um, but I think the start he's made to the season has really sort of been a positive one. And I feel yeah. like he's my pick of the week. I think it's a good shout. I think he caused you a lot of problems. Incidentally, I've also gone for a Brentford player and I've gone for Matthias Jensen. Mm. He's a player that I've spoke about for a long time. We kind of raised the question of whether he could be that Ericsson replacement. And I think he made a good case for it against United. He was obviously instrumental in the second goal. He won the ball back and then that was so underrated what he did there. The The touch. Mm. And then the kind of... um, Just the... What's it called? The, The reverse. Yeah, the reverse shot. And just had he, he fought United and then also the pass as well for Mbwemo's goal he set Tony free yeah. I think he looks like a brilliant brilliant player Matthias Jensen and a, yeah just a great player for Brighton to ha- Brentford to have and I think I hope that he can just push on he's another one of those players that shown all the potential but I hope he can just keep pushing on and re- like realising his potential because I, I, I really like Matthias Jensen yeah so that's my pick of the week so Westy's gone Brian and Buemo and Matthias Jensen. Oh, well, I've gone but Matthias Jensen, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that kind of highlights how good Brentford were. And I think it would have been wrong for us to pick anyone else, to be honest. Mm-hmm. We'll move on now to our predictions. Right. So, yeah, our predictions from last week. I got five points as I got the correct result in the Brighton-Newcastle game. I said 2-2 and it was 0-0. I also got a correct score for the Man City Bournemouth game 4-0 and then I got a correct score for the Nottingham Forest West Ham game which brings me up to five points. Pretty happy with that start. How did you get on West Good start. Um, I'm actually on five points as well. Five points as well. I got a point for Southampton Leeds. I went for a draw there 1-1 so I got a correct result. Um, I also got a point for Brighton Newcastle. I went for 1-1. That was a, a draw as well. Um, I got a correct score with Man City Bournemouth 4-0 and then I also got a correct result with Wolves Fulham I went for a draw in that one as well and I did forget to do a prediction for Forest West Ham so that leaves me with zero for that I'm pretty sure you did do one but I can't remember you saying Forest were going to win but it's your fault anyway mate you know what I mean what, yeah. what can we do yeah so we're going to go on to now our predictions for game week three Tottenham versus Wolves is the first game of the weekend. Tottenham trying to get back on track and well continue their unbeaten run to fair. I, you know, this is the thing in my head, Tottenham lost that game, but they didn't. It's a fair play to them. Wolves, obviously they might have a new few new signings playing. Obviously Matias Nunes has gone there. They've obviously got this Guedes as well. I think it'd be interesting to see what Nunes is like. I mean, I've heard people absolutely raving about him. Meant to be a brilliant player. I think Pep said he's one of the best young players or best players in the world at the moment so I've gone for Tottenham to win 2-0 against Wolves I've gone Tottenham 2-0 as well right Crystal Palace versus Aston Villa the first of the 3pm kickoffs. it's quite I'd say I was going to say tough one to call here but I think Crystal Palace are going to walk this one I think it's going to be 3-0 to Crystal Palace and I think it's going to be a stark reminder of where Villa are at the moment and the the issues that they've got. Diego Carlos is injured, isn't he now? Yeah. So, yeah, I've gone 3-0 in this one. I've gone for 2-2 in this one. 2-2. Optimistic, that. From a Villa fan's perspective. Everton versus Nottingham Forest. I've gone for a 1-1 in this one. I've also gone 2-2 in this one. I All like right. a 2-2. Yeah, you do like a draw, don't you, mate? You know what you're doing. 
Fulham versus Brentford. I've actually gone for a draw in this one. 2-2. Two, two. I think it could be an interesting game. Two interesting teams. Um, I've, I've go gone for 2-1 go Brentford. 2-1 Brentford. Right, so they're going to continue win. their positive start. West London Derby. Start. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm really looking a bit silly for saying that Brentford will go down in my predictions, aren't I? Yeah, you are, yeah. 18. For me, it's a long season ahead. Long season. On to the next game, and one that I'll be in attendance for, Leicester City versus Southampton. It's a hard one. Obviously, I don't. I never predict against Leicester here. Um, I am worried. I think if anything goes against us, I'm not sure how our fans are going to react. I think there's a lot of a lot of unrest at the moment at Leicester, and I think a lot of people don't really know where we're at, and people don't really know what our expect expectations should be. I think the success we've had has kind of distorted that expectation. So. I'm hoping, I'm I'm going for this prediction more out of hope than, than kind of. Um, What's your prediction, Joel? Yeah, I've gone for three <laughs> to Leicester. Nice. Uh, I've gone three one Leicester. Three one, right? Yeah. I'll be happy with that. Bournemouth versus Arsenal, which is the late kickoff on the Saturday. I've gone pretty simple here: two nil to Arsenal. I've gone three nil Arsenal. Right. I don't think there's much more that needs to be said about that. On to the Sunday fixtures. Leeds United versus Chelsea. Leeds have had a good start. They've done well. Chelsea, obviously, have started better than I think people expected. I can't see anything other than a 2-1 win here for Chelsea. I think Leeds might get a goal. They might give a good account for themselves. But I think Chelsea are going to grind out another win. I've gone for 2-1 to Chelsea as well. Yeah, Yeah. nice one. I've also gone 2-1 to Brighton in the next fixture. Ooh. West Ham versus Brighton. Yeah, I just think Brighton, they're just so impressive. And West Ham, I thought they were really underwhelming. Against Nottingham Forest, I thought, yeah, I just thought, yeah, I can't see anything other than a Brighton winner. Westy, can you I've you gone say for words? West Ham 2-1, first one of the season for the Hammers. Um, yeah, I feel like it's it's due. Yeah, you're probably right, to be fair. They should. They do need a win, and yeah, I can see that happening. Two one either way. So it'd be interesting to see how that one turns out. Newcastle versus Manchester City is the later game on the Sunday. I've gone for a free two win to Manchester City. I think this could be a banana skin for Manchester City. Yeah. Newcastle look impressive. They can defend well. They can attack, and it's at St James's Park as well, which. They're going to be in, in full voice, St. James's Park. I know they always are, but there's a brilliant feeling around Newcastle at the moment. I think Man City, yeah, they could be caught unawares, shall we say. What are we thinking, Wes, for this one? I've gone for 1-1. One, one. Gone for 1-1? One, one. Right. Yeah. I could see that happening. Mm-hmm. Monday, 22nd <laughs> of August, a date that Westy is definitely looking forward to. Manchester United versus Liverpool. I've gone for... 4-0 Liverpool. <laughs> Surely um, you're not gonna bet bet surely you're not gonna predict a United win here, lad. Um I like you say I can never bet against my team. Uh so I've gone for a one one. You know, that'd be a fantastic result, I think. That would be United. a great result. So yeah, that's my result. That's my it's more of my sort of my head telling me than my heart, so let's hope the head works this time. What your head's telling you it's gonna be a draw? Yeah, but my heart really says it's going to be a Is your head all right, mate? 
Well, your heart tells you it's going to be 5 0. To Liverpool. Right. But no, I'm going for 1 1. Going for 1 1. I mean, we can speak about this game because obviously it is the, the main game of the weekend. How do you, Man United, get something out of this, Westy? How would you set up? Do you just go full pragmatic here? Uh, yeah, put 11 bodies on the line and tell everyone to stand up, <laughs> lie down. What you, so, what are you thinking midfield wise? Um, I'm not sure, you know. Um, God, there's literally no combination that's. It's going to really, be McFred, isn't it? it? It probably will be, yeah. Um, it's going to be McFred. I don't know why we have. Not even. It's going to be, so there's no point discussing it, really. I don't think. No. Obviously, if Casemiro's in, but I, what I'm seeing is he's not going to be available for Liverpool game because of his visa and that sort of stuff having to get sorted um, so well let's yeah. actually yeah well, let's. I'll take you out of your misery let's segue on to transfer talk Casemiro to Manchester United is edging closer 60 million euros with 10 million in add-ons is what I'm seeing I think yeah. I'm not sure if there's differing reports it looks like it's going to happen this one it's kind of come out of nowhere is this the player that United have been crying out for for all these years, Westy? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously with his age, 30, I think he's in the peak of his powers right now. Um, maybe coming slightly to the end of it. Um, you know, Real Madrid, people say they never, they, they, they let players go when they're sort of, they know they're on the way out. Maybe the same as Varane. Um, but I think the main reason they've, they're happy to let him go is obviously because of his how much service he's given to the club. He's, I think he's earned the right to sort of make his own decision. And obviously they've just signed Shua Many, which is sort of a like-for-like -like replacement. Obviously a lot younger, a lot more inexperienced. Uh, but I think for United, yeah. I, I, it's a signing that I never saw was making this summer, to be honest. I always mm -hmm. thought, you know what? Brilliant, yeah, we might get De Jong, you know, we might get, yeah, we've got Martinez, Eriksen, we might sign Anthony. But it's always been a case where United, they, like last season, Varane, Ronaldo... It doesn't really. It, it sort of. There's always something in the back of your mind thinking it's all amazing, but it's not really going to make that much difference because the main problem's not solved. And obviously, in Casemiro, uh, we've, it looks like we're going to get one of the best in his in his position, if not the best. You know, it's what he's won and his performances over the past few years, even the Champions League final against Liverpool. Um, he could be a real floor raiser for United, I think, and he could. I think he'll he'll raise the level of those around him as well. But obviously, mm. I'm not getting too carried away because we've made so many signings in recent years and we've yeah. still been terrible. So, What I don't understand about it, though, is Real Madrid's position has been kind of set for a while now. Like They've they've made a few signings early on. Like I imagine that if they were open to Casemiro going, then that's probably been the case for a while now. Is this a, an avenue that United just haven't got round to going down? Like, have they been too preoccupied with the De Jong stuff? Maybe that is the case. But this is oh. someone that realistically you could have got in at, at the start of the window. Yeah, really. I think so. But I don't think a player like Casemiro was ever on the sort of radar for Ten Hag. I think if you look at him at, at Ajax and the plays that he set up with there, he's never really been someone who wants an out-and-out out number six. And I think what he thought was Frankie De Jong was going to be that person for him. And... He had the confidence in his own ability as a manager and in his team to play that way without an out and out six. But mm. I think what he's quickly learned over the first two games is that you know the Premier League is a whole different ball game and you need one of them. So yeah. I think maybe this is a sort of a knee jerk reaction to the losses that he's endured over the past couple of weeks, and he's probably bit his lip and 
thought, you know what? But well, I, I, if I'm, if I'm honest, from my point of view, and from an outsider, I think it is a knee-jerk reaction, but not in terms of Ten Hag. I think it's purely in terms of the Glazers, and I think with the Glazers, I mean, I know there's been unrest for a while, but the element that's going to make them take note is once is when their their kind of kind of credibility, their credibility and reputation starts taking a battering, and that's what happened after that Brentford game, where you had play, people like Gary Neville, who I know has been relatively vocal about his um well I don't know has he been that vocal before about being against the Glazers like, has he been as vocal as he was after that Brentford game beforehand no no, no. so like this is the thing once pl- people like Gary Neville and people in the space start calling out, calling the Glazers out that's really what gets to them like I I like this is that it's this whole thing isn't it about the owning these football clubs they don't care about these clubs these owners it's a it's something to talk about at dinner parties. It's like a, it's another toy. It's a, it's just a just cash cow, that, isn't it? Yeah, and it's almost like this sport washing. It's like it's creating a positive view of yourself. It's something that you can. It's like, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. And basically, just holding holding as, their family name to a high prestige, yeah, like you say, at, at a big dinner table or a, or a ball or something. Yeah, like it's just another thing that you can kind of just add to your name and. It is a cash cow, obviously, but it is also about that reputation. It's about using it. We own Manchester United, the biggest club in England, the biggest club in the Premier League. But once you start having that reputation, it starts taking a battering from people like Gary Neville, from people on the TV. It's going viral on social media. That's what really hits them. And from my point of view, that's what this Casemiro transfer screams of. And like you're saying, that knee-jerk reaction. And sadly... I don't think it is from a tactical standpoint. I don't think it has anything to do with the actual result against Brentford. And I, I wonder how much say Ten Hag actually has. I think he's being made to think he has a big say. But I think this is a case of they probably come to him and said, there's Casemiro here, do you want him? I find it hard to believe that Ten Hag's gone, get me Casemiro. I find mm. it hard to believe. And I also think that maybe he, he didn't even see it as an option, as a feasible option. Because... I don't know. It just seems odd to me, and I don't. I think it, it screams of them just trying to save face and just desperately try and repair this damage that's happened. And I'm yeah. not sure if they can do oh, it now. And no. is that sorry? But it's just for you. Is this a transfer that you have to kind of enjoy it and appreciate that it's what you need and finally what you need, but just take it with a pinch of salt? Is that where you're at with it? Yeah, I think most fans have sort of they're not going to fall for it this time, and I think. Well, obviously, it's a sign that you need and that we need, especially. But it's not going to sort of deflect like it did last year with the sort of the fanfare of Ronaldo and Varane. I, don't, I think United fans have got past the point of that, and I think you'll see on Monday with the protests and the stuff and the people not attending the game that they are we are serious about this. And they, I think this is the final push now. It's, it's too we've come too far for it to to just fold again and let the Glazers get there, just get comfortable again. They've had enough chances, haven't they? Like they yeah. can't. I don't think even if they've spent five hundred million, I don't think they can rectify what they've done. Morgan Gibbs White to Nottingham Forest looks like it is going to happen. Um, I'm seeing a few fees flying about, but I think it's around like forty million. Is this? I'm seeing a lot of people getting riled up about this transfer fee. Do you think Nottingham Forest are paying over the odds for for Gibbs White? Yes, definitely. 
And that's not me saying that. I think Gibbs White's a cracking player, and I think he's got a lot of potential. But I think the day when you get into the point where a player like Morgan Gibbs White, who's what had very little Premier League experience, really. I mean, he's played bit part of of his career with Wolves, but he's never been sort of a a, a key player for them. Obviously, he did brilliantly last no. year at Sheffield United, but you know, it's just crazy, isn't it? When this is a sort of these players are remember just five years ago that you some of the players you'd be able to get for that sort of price tag and now mm. these are this is a going rate for a young player like Gibbs White so I think it's pretty crazy but you know he's got every chance of proving me wrong and not proving me wrong because I think he's a terrific player but you know it, I think it, I yeah, just I, think it's just it's, yeah it's just a bit mental isn't it 40 million is the the new 20 million really though isn't it yeah and I think it is just this inflation in the game and it's really hard now to even judge a, how much a fee is really and whether something's a bargain or or just the, the right amount of money for a player. I think it'll be interesting it's to see whether he is ready to take that step up. Obviously, he's had some experience in the Premier League with Wolves before, never really set the world alight. Obviously, did brilliantly with Sheffield United last season. He's obviously someone that Steve Cooper's identified as a as a player that he needs to bring in. He obviously can learn underneath um, Jesse Lingard, but when you're playing that amount of money, when you're paying that amount of money, sorry, you you expect to play, don't you? Yeah. You expect to play him and he's going to... But I, I think it's... Do you think the Forest signing all these players has something to do with the five subs rule? Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it will benefit them. Um, obviously, having strength and depth and having this five subs... Um, so it definitely could be a reason behind it but I just struggle to see how they're all going to fit in and gel all at the same time and obviously it's going to take a while for them all to sort of get used to, to how each other play and stuff so when you're only in your first season in the Premier League or back in the Premier League so to speak it's going to be interesting to see how they do sort of gel and how long it takes mm. them because you know if we look at Fulham back in 2018 I think when they came up, spent over £100 million and that didn't work at all. So, yeah. it's a gamble. It really is a gamble. Admittedly, I don't know a lot about every single one of Forest players, but some of them really do look quite impressive. Mangala in midfield looked really good against West Ham. Yeah, I like the look of O'Brien. I think... Toffolo's a good player just going as well. through Toffolo's a good player. I like that look of that Awanui as well. Obviously, another signing that they've made is Emmanuel Dennis. Fee in the region of £20 million for the 24-year-old who scored 10 goals in the Premier League last season, his debut season in the Premier League. He was that shining light, really, for Watford last season. And to score 10 goals, 10 Premier League goals in a in a relegated team, I think is, is pretty impressive. And he's not an out-and-out striker as well. And I think that's why he suits Cooper's system. He likes having a player, obviously he likes having a player like Johnson that plays off someone that's more of a physical presence and more of a, a spearhead in our Niggy. I think, do you, do you see him and Johnson working in a two together or do you think it's going to be Johnson out, Dennis in, kind of rotating? And also, is this Forrest's best signing yet? Um, I'm not sure. I I, I literally won't be able to tell you until until I've seen them all play and they've gelled a bit. Um, I think he's a really good sign. I mean, he was playing Champions League football a couple of years ago for Bruges and scoring goals there. So it's definitely a signing of pedigree. 
Um, I think he will score more goals as well in a better team. And I think Forest are more well-equipped than Watford were when they came up last season. Um, mm. Yeah, it's interesting to see how they'll set up though because I think Johnson, it's almost like a you'd think he'd be sort of a guaranteed starter every week. Sort of the relationship yeah. he's got with Cooper and the fans and how important he was last year. So I think you could maybe see maybe like a starting maybe like with a two up top and maybe interchanging between like sort of Lingard and and uh, Dennis and I think Lingard you yeah. could often see playing as quite high up this season. Yeah, I think yeah it's interesting. Obviously, there's there's a clear way that Cooper wants to play, and it is very much a counter attacking system, especially in the Premier League and especially against these these teams that are supposedly better than them. I'm not sure if he'll get more confident and a bit more and push his players higher at the pitch. Nico Williams played really get well against um, West Ham as well and he looks like a, a really good signing for them. Obviously, yeah, he likes... Obviously, they want to pick up the ball and then unleash someone like a, a Johnson, put him out wide and then play it back and find the the, the runs of the Awanigi or Jesse Lingard and obviously that was seen in their goal at the weekend against West Ham. Yeah, I think Forrest, they're not going to go down, are they? That's, no. I think that's the best thing you can say. And that's all you can really hope for in the Premier League. And that will justify all this this business they've been doing. Yeah. Obviously, a player that um, Forrest were going to be getting, and now it has fell through, was Hussam Awar from Lyon. He could now be joining Crystal Palace. Um, I think Forrest didn't want to pay the fee. I think, personally... Palace need a player more, need a player like Awar more than Forrest actually do. And I think Awar could act as that Gallagher replacement. And also, someone's coming for Jeffrey Schlupp. I think, personally, in my view, Jeffrey Schlupp isn't a sustainable option at centre midfield for Patrick Vieira. And I think Awar could kind of finish that team off, really, that Palace team, and, and set them in good stead for this season. Have you got any thoughts on this? Mm. No, to be fair, I mean, over the past couple of years, he sort of his levels dropped, so it's hard to judge how he'd sort of really fit into any of the teams, sort of that are interesting to him. And but I think yeah, with Vieira and obviously the French connection there, maybe that might play play a big part in in his decision hour. Um, but I feel like yeah, maybe someone like Vieira in that sort of system would be the best option for him to sort of get his career sort of back on track, get him kicking on again because obviously yeah. he's gone a bit stale and Leon isn't a, an option for him to stay. So he is going to leave. Right. Um, but yeah, I feel like you, you're right there with Schlupp. I think Schlupp's a good player and he's a good sort of utility player to have in the squad. But I think if Palace really want to sort of take it to that next level and progress under Vieira, the calibre of player they need to be is better than Jeffrey Schlupp in that yeah. area of the pitch. Yeah, Newcastle United pushing for João Pedro. I think they had a couple bids rejected. I reckon Watford could stand firm on this one. Yeah, I think he has got a few years left in his contract. They've obviously lost Dennis. Looks like they're going to be losing Saar to Crystal Palace, incidentally. How important is it though that Howe signs a striker, in your opinion? And can Callum Wilson be relied upon? Because in my opinion. Quality-wise, he can be. I think he is that starting striker and he can easily play that role. But I think it is just that injury record. Last season, barely played any games last season. Obviously, he's come back fit and far in this season, but is that going to be sustainable? Do you think, how important is it that Howe signs a striker? Yeah, I think it's really important. 
Yeah, because obviously, like you say, Wilson's injury record isn't the best, especially last season. I mean, he's a great option to have when he's when he's fit. But um, obviously, you look at Chris Wood as well. Hasn't really set the world alight, has he, since he's no. signed from Burnley. Um, but yeah, I feel like that could... I, I feel like, you know what, I, I even thought... We were talking about Forrest's other signing, Dennis. I thought Dennis was a signing that Newcastle could have really yeah. gone for. Someone that would be happy to probably just play that sort of interchange role with Wilson. Yeah. Obviously, that's all hindsight. Uh, it's not going to happen. Um, mm. But no, I, I definitely think Newcastle could do... And it could be their Achilles heel if, if say, Wilson does pick up an injury and they're sort of starved of goals up front again. Yeah, I, I think in terms of the profile they're looking for, it is clear what they've identified as what they want in the transfer window. They want a young striker. Obviously, Hugo Ekatike was the one they were chasing. He's obviously now gone to PSG. Jao Pedro is kind of of that similar mould, very young and experienced, but he has shown... Well, I say inexperienced. For his age, he's pretty experienced. and He's played a, a fair amount of Premier League football. He's impressed in the Premier League as well. I think Jao Pedro would easily fit what Newcastle are looking for. And yeah, I think he'd be a great signing. But like I said, I think it's unlikely that Watford are going to want to part ways with him. La- one of the last ones I've got down on here, Chelsea are now willing to loan out Trevor Shalaber. Interest from Serie A clubs, including Inter, and unnamed Premier League outfits. I don't really know what to what to like make of this. Obviously, Trevor Shalaber came in and did brilliantly for Chelsea last season. There must have been a point where he was adjudged kind of surplus to requirements or not good enough to start or not reliable enough. I don't know how old he is, but he's getting into like his the 22, 23 kind of age. He's, it is odd, isn't it? And it must be a real, it must be just a real confidence hit. When you're there and you're at a club that are desperately looking for centre-backs, they're signing players like Fafana. And you've got players like Trevor Shalabert and obviously Levi Colwell was there before. I don't really... What do you make of this? I mean, is it wise to be sending Trevor Shalabert out on loan or do you think he should just be seeking a permanent deal really at this point? Um, yeah, I'd probably go for a permanent deal if, if it could get done because I feel like at a club like Chelsea, once you sort of told you're out on loan, there isn't often really a way back, is there? Bar if he's someone, the exception, someone like Mason Mount when he was at Derby, but that's when he's young, you know. It's when you when you've played in the first team for a couple of years and then you get sent out on loan. It's sort of a, I think it's sort of a, 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 a sort of an indirect message, as if to say, sort of pack your bags and you're not really wanted here anymore. So, mm. and I think I think somewhere like Italy could. I think he, all he's got to do is just look at his his old friend Tamori and see how he's mm. fared in Italy and the new lifestyle and new league and you know you, you can go over there and can really sort of make make your name and put it on a stamp on European football which is Tomori's done and I think Chalaber's got the the quality to do that as well I do yeah I, I agree and I suppose that is the one silver lining really for these players is there are examples of well there's, there's considerable amount of examples of players that go on from Chelsea and they go on to bigger and better things in terms of their personal game and I think Trevor Chalaber could definitely um, follow that path I think there just seems to be no patience at Chelsea there's no kind of waiting to see what a player can become in their in their ranks as well like they just send them out on loan and they don't really look to develop them themselves it's interesting I, I, I'm not too sure about it myself and if I was a Chelsea fan I'd, I'd be a bit miffed I mean 
I know everyone wants the big signings or whatever, but you want some homegrown talent. You want to give some give some time to these players because it takes a while. Yeah. And I think a manager like Tuchel would be good for someone like Shalaba to learn under, but I think it goes back to that thing that managers at Chelsea, they already think they're on borrowed time almost, and they want to make these short-sighted, short-sighted signings to kind of cover their back, really. Yeah. Lastly, on the transfer talk, Bruno Guimaraes has been touted as an option for Real Madrid if Casemiro is to leave. Obviously, we've run over a little bit here, so I want to just get some quick thoughts. I personally think he is, but do you think Bruno Gomez is that good? Um, not sure yet. I'd have to see more of him this season. I think he's looked good from what he's done so far in the Newcastle shirt. I can't see him any chance this deal really happening. I think if you've been at Newcastle for six months, I'm no. not sure. I think he's got a good connection with the fans there and obviously Real Madrid. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it is interesting to look at whether he'd be a good option. And I personally think... I think Bruno Gomez will go to the very top. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Like the the variety of roles he can play, and he seems to just adapt seamlessly to these different roles. I've seen him obviously play to the to the right of the midfield three, but then at the first game of the season for Newcastle, he was playing in a deeper role in like that that six role, and I think he's absolutely brilliant. I don't know if he is the out and out defensive midfielder replacement for Casemiro well no they've got and, they've got sure many haven't they you know yeah but they're going to need two in that role I th- aren't I think Camavinga can play there as well to be fair um, but Camavinga and, and two and many can't be viewed to be in the same position surely I think they could play with a pivot of the two though do you reckon do you mm-hmm. not reckon it'll be like a I just I, in my eyes I'd see the two and many Camavinga and Bill, Bellingham that's what I see coming yeah, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? Right, we'll finish the episode on the FPL hangover. Right, Westy, I mean, was it any better for you this week? I know you had a, a dross opening week. Yeah, dross opening week, um, but came back with a bit of a better week. 59 points for me this weekend. Right. I mean, I, I've certain players did let me down, I must say, notably players from my own team. Um, yeah. But Bruno, uh, Do you think the bias kind of I think, yeah, you know, I crippled think, you? Yeah, I think it has. I th- but I think, I think the players have got lots of be stand for as well I mean no one expected this bad at the start but regardless yeah. of that uh, De Bruyne was captain for me last weekend got me a nice 29 points so that plumped me up a bit um, yeah had Harry Kane Perisic all chipping in a bit um, but I have played my wild card now yeah which is, I think it's a wise decision mate. I think it's a wise decision I, th- I needed the refresh a reboot and yeah I'm looking forward to seeing how the lads fare this weekend so we should we talk about what who have you brought in then in your, okay, your wild card? Okay. I mean I can go into my week. I got sixty seven points last week. I um so I'm in a head to head league as well as a normal league and I lost my head to head by two points. And it was really confusing. Like the it's a bit glitchy, isn't it, the site? Like one minute it was saying that I was ahead, next minute it was saying I was behind. God knows. Martinelli did well for me again. I'm glad that I got him in first week. Jesus obviously a must have. Haaland it kind of came back to bite me, really. I, I took the minus four last week and got Haaland in for Kane and took out Perisic as well for Zinchenko. And obviously Perisic got an assist. Kane got a goal. So that didn't really work in my favour. I'm sticking, though, this week. I'm rolling my transfer and I'm going to stick with my team. I think it's looking good. I'm confident about Madison ahead of the Southampton game. 
So yeah, I'm also going to bring De Silva in. He's been on my bench last two weeks. Obviously scored the last two weeks, but I favour his fixture over Neto. So yeah. So Westy, go. What's your wild card then? Uh, Who've you brought in? So I've uh, took out Allison and brought in Dean Henderson after his solid performance last week. Um, mm-hmm. Reese James and Kula Bally have come in for Trent Alexander-Arnold and Lissandro Martinez. Kuluzeski's uh, coming as well. Uh, I think that was for Sancho. James Madison in as well. That's uh, yeah. I'm really excited about him against Southampton. I think he could Fair cause play, some issues. And obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo has been taken out. And yeah. my front, actually, my two, and Harry Kane. So my new two, my new front two, it's a tough thing to say, is Gabriel Jesus and Erling Haaland. Yeah, I think that seems to be the the kind of consistent pick for everyone really the Jesus Haaland I think that's what I'm finding tough is when to just cover bases and make sure to have the players that everyone else has got and when to go for a differential and sometimes I just need to take my own advice just just take a risk you know what I mean mm. I had a feeling that Kane was going to get a goal against Chelsea and he did God knows anyway we'll round the episode off there and we'll we'll come back next week to discuss how our FPL teams got on react to our predictions for game week two we'll obviously be reacting to game week three we've also got a few ideas coming up for for different kinds of episodes such as a Ballon d'Or episode where we give our top tens that was one that we really enjoyed doing last season you can listen to it still if you go back in the podcast there's one that I'd actually advise you to listen to it was one that we really enjoyed it was a good debate and yeah have you enjoyed today's episode Westy it's been as always mate yeah it's yeah, always a pleasure always yeah it's the highlight of the week isn't it really the podcast it's what gets you up in the morning exactly exactly thank you guys for joining us if you enjoyed the episode make sure to follow the podcast click the notifications on if you want to be notified when a new episode drops follow us on Instagram at divided opinion if you want to enjoy some some written content some match reports some uh, transfer updates things like that yeah head over there and you can interact with us as well we encourage debate healthy debate so yeah head over there and check that out and yeah thank you for joining us guys and we'll see you next week